Loudspeaker Studios. Welcome to the Hangover Liberation Society, the podcast celebrating the unexpected benefits of living a zero-proof lifestyle. I'm Erin Ranta. And I'm Adrienne Vandervalk, and we are the co-founders of Reva Recovery Support and the Hangover Liberation Method. In today's episode, we are going to dive into a topic that really no one likes to talk about, and that is money. Erin, when you think about money, what's the first emotional reaction that you experience? I actually sometimes get angry or I sometimes get a feeling of embarrassment or shame. It's a really big one for me. This is probably one of the largest topics that still hangs out in my life and in my mind in recovery. Sometimes I see red when I'm discussing money, like it's I get pure anger and sometimes I get shameful. It's interesting that you use the term hanging out because I feel very similar. I think that money sort of is like the gorilla in the room a lot of times for me. It is something that after I got sober, I still the consequences of my poor money choices and attitudes toward money remained in my life. And they were a very unwelcome reminder, sort of like a house guest that won't leave. So that resonates with me a lot. The things that happened in the past take a long time to fix. And so they are still very visible, even in a sober life. They can be quite triggering, to be honest. Agreed. It might be a little unusual to talk about money on a recovery podcast, but we really believe in holistic recovery that you have to change many, if not all, areas of your life to maintain sustained sobriety. And that means recovering all areas of your life and including recovering your bank account and your attitudes and behaviors toward money. Because in a lot of cases, they're very similar to the way that we treat our bodies, our relationships, and the other important elements of our lives. So one of the things we teach about a lot is the context-dependent memory cycle. This is a three-part cycle that's responsible for the really ingrained patterns that those of us with substance use disorder find so difficult to break out of. You experience a trigger, sometimes sadness, sometimes the desire for social acceptance, depression, you know, whatever it is, stress. Then you engage in a behavior, in our case, drinking, me and Aaron's case, drinking and um, also using. And then you experience a reward, a flood of dopamine. And over time, you start to associate the reward with the trigger. So you can't experience the trigger without craving the reward, which makes it so difficult to circumvent the behavior. And the fact of the matter is spending money can get you in a very similar kind of cycle. So this is why it's so important to talk about money because people who might start a recovery journey and get alcohol or drugs out of their life, it's not uncommon for them to engage in some sort of substitution behavior and compulsive shopping is actually a pretty common thing for people to do. And I know that during the pandemic, I heard about a lot of people drinking more. I also heard a lot of people started shopping more. So I think it's important to tie those two things together. Anything that creates that reward cycle has the potential to become a compulsive and problematic behavior. So that's connection number one. That definitely makes sense. It is a dopamine hit when you press that purchase button. It is. And then 
and then you have the expectation of waiting for it to arrive if it's like mm -hmm. a online shopping thing, which lately, you know, for most of us, it has been. And then it arrives and you're like, oh, you know, <laughs> it just yeah. never, it's never as good as you think it's going to be. The guilt settles in and that big box that came in is milling around the house, reminding you of what you've done. Exactly. <laughs> just like the empty bottles. Another connection between money issues and substance use disorder is that substance use disorder strengthens the parts of our brain that seek instant gratification to the detriment of the part of our brains that engage in long-term planning and delayed gratification. So we talk a lot in our program about beware the term fuck it because so often you can you know have every intention of sticking to your budget or sticking to your plan of not drinking or using and you get to a point where you're having the craving and it's very very easy to say fuck it i deserve it and just totally circumvent the part of your brain that had made the decision to invest in a future benefit of staying sober or skipping that particular purchase. This is huge. This is definitely a huge uh, point that you're making, Adrian. I can see where I've done this, and it's it's very almost frightening how close it is to the drinking behavior. Well, and what's interesting is you can actually literally see it when you look at your bank account and your credit card statements. It's like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it on this date, mm -hmm. on this date, at this time. Like it maps it out for you if you're trying to better manage your financial life as part of your recovery. And then the last connection that we wanted to point out is the kind of more obvious one that drinking and using is very expensive. And if we're not conscious about how we reallocate the money that we are no longer spending on drugs and alcohol once we quit drinking, we really run the risk of just letting that money slip through our fingers and kind of disappear without getting the benefits to our pocketbooks, our bank accounts, our lives of intentionally taking that money. And we're going to talk more about how money essentially is an energy and rerouting that energy in the direction of growing your sober life, growing the life that you want. So getting really intentional about how we are using that line item budget that's no longer going toward wine or Coke or whatever it is can be a huge lever and an accelerator to making your financial life better, but it takes a little bit of planning. So we wanna just make that connection as well. Erin, do you wanna just take a couple minutes and talk about your financial story? Cause I feel like you and I have both traveled long roads and are still traveling these roads in terms of kind of recovering our financial lives. So what you got? This is a very tricky one for me. I feel as though when I was using, I became very, very irresponsible with money. I mean, to the point where I would pawn items, you know, do behaviors that is are very not within my moral moral um, grounds. So when I became sober, I stopped doing those things. I became healthy. I started working. So I had some regular income for the first time in a while. I just wanted, I craved like a quote unquote normal life. And so money's part of that. And I leased a car. My credit was not that great, but I was able to lease a car, you know, just I had an apartment, all the normal things that people do. 
But then I started to realize that I could buy things, clothes and things that I really had missed out on for many years when all my money went to drugs and alcohol. So that got a little out of hand. It did get better. I started then really shifting my focus to enjoying seeing the credit cards not maxed out, seeing my credit score go up slowly, but surely up and up. So I was feeling good about that. But then the pandemic hit. I had a baby. I don't have a job or I get paid maternity leave. I was very grateful to be on unemployment during the pandemic, but still finances were tight. I found myself going back into a little bit of the fuckets. And it's like, I find myself when I have less money going into those, especially retail cards and literally in a, like a blind state buying something that I cannot afford. It will max out the card. It will drop my credit score. Just, you know, by using your credit cards, it drops the score. And now that it's already gone down again, I'm feeling, this is actually really current. I'm feeling some depression about it. And it's very frustrating. I'm glad we're doing this episode and talking about it because I'm, I'm really actually just learning as we are discussing this and bringing it to the forefront of my behaviors is it's important. And I just, I feel like if anyone can relate, this is such a shameful thing for me, actually. So, you know, I could talk about my drinking past all day long, but this is something that I don't talk about that much. So, you know, I do feel alone in it. So if anyone can relate, I hope that this helps. (laughs) I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing that. I feel the same way in terms of the shame around, you know, the financial situations that I have found myself in over the years. People are recovering out loud now. I think this has to be part of the conversation. And a big part of the reason why we don't want to talk about it is because many of us are raised specifically not to talk about money. We're told that it's impolite. We are raised with beliefs about people who have money and people who don't. And those beliefs We didn't necessarily take them on because we studied the world and decided that that was true. These are narratives that we carry with us that have a subconscious effect. And one of those effects is to keep us silent if we're not, quote unquote, successful by the standards of late stage capitalism, you know? So I just think that we have to talk about the fact that income inequality affects this, We don't support families in our country, despite the fact that we use families as political levers. We don't support them. We don't support new mothers, new parents who, as you said, have babies and then have really no opportunity to stay home and care for them without losing their income and jeopardizing their financial lives. So I just wanted to put a plug in there. Like Some of this is behaviors that we can change within ourselves. And some of it is systemic Mm -hmm. and some of it is the way that we've been conditioned and cultured. So, you know, everyone needs to just give themselves a break when it comes to their financial situation. If you don't feel like that you're where you want to be, there are things that you can do about it. Yes. And we're going to talk about that, but also like the way Capitalism sets us up for failure, essentially, and then tells Mm -hmm. us it's our fault when, you know, Mm -hmm. like if we equate hard work with having Mm -hmm. lots of money and then you don't have lots of money, what's the only thing you can conclude? That you just didn't work hard enough, right? And that's just bullshit. It is such bullshit. I really honestly have thought that I am the only one that does not get like 401k or that doesn't have all these things that 
you know, I hear about paid time off. I don't have any of that stuff. And I, I feel so alone in the fact that like, I can't get a high credit card to go on a trip or whatever, you know, like, am I the only one? No, but it does need to be talked about because capitalism makes it feel like I am total failure. Well, allow me to normalize your experience a bit because (laughs) I, I really have been through some very, like when I say low times, I mean, when it comes to things like payday loans mm-hmm. and predatory lenders, and this is not an exaggeration. I was on a first name basis with the lady at the payday loan counter in Eugene, Oregon for several years. I knew when she got married, I was like buddies with her, which is really, really sick when you think about it, because I was in there every single month because I could not get ahead. And I was constantly paying off these super high interest loans because mm-hmm. I never had any money. My way of dealing with my bank account was basically swipe and pray. I had Mm -hmm. a bank that would cover overdraft fees up to, I think, $400. And so I just used my debit card as an extremely high interest credit card, right? Because every time you overdraft, it charges you like $35. Mm -hmm. But it didn't matter to me because I wanted what was right in front of my face. If I was at the bar, I wasn't going to not go to the bar. I wasn't going to not bring a bottle of wine to a party. Like I just Mm -hmm. would not make those sacrifices. And I also would not check my bank account because I didn't want to know. And I felt embarrassed. And so I basically just lived in denial, swiped and prayed, maxed out my credit cards, took out payday loans. And I got myself in a situation where I'll never forget this. I had a friend come into town and wanted to go out. And I was like, well, I can't go out because I don't have any money. And he was like, oh, like, can't you just get some money out of savings? Don't you have a credit card you could use? And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, I have no money in savings. All my credit cards are maxed out. And then I was supposed to drive him to the airport and I didn't have any gas in my car and he had to put gas in my car so I could drive him to the airport because I had no, Mm -hmm. like, I tried to write a check at the, Mm -hmm. a bad check at the gas station and they wouldn't take it. Like that's the level of pennilessness I was at in that moment. And I also remember scraping together change Mm -hmm. and going to not the convenience store in my neighborhood because it was too expensive. I went to the convenience store in the neighborhood where the homeless shelters were because they sold much cheaper like TV dinners and bought myself a TV dinner and like rationed it over two dinners, two or three dinners, because I had no money for food. I was living in downtown Portland, working at a very professional job where I was like flying all over the country, doing high level pilots for state education agencies. Like I wasn't unemployed. I wasn't in a minimum wage job. Not that there's Mm -hmm. any shame about either one of those things, Mm -hmm. but I should have been able to take care of my shit. And I absolutely could not. And the shame that I felt about that still lingers in me. So yeah, I definitely relate. You're not alone. Anyone who's listening to this, we have been there. You know, you did mention to me about the payday loans and not that I'm glad you went through that, but I am glad as I relate and I've never really talked about that to anyone. And I've been there with the payday loans and those checks and the overdraft fees and just kind of playing the game of the timing of a purchase versus overdraft versus maybe depositing a little bit of money. Um, Yeah. Glad to hear that I am not alone. And thank you so much for sharing that. (laughs) 
Hey there, I'm Sarah Moneres, the host of the We Podcast, your space for inspiration, stories, and real talk. On the We Podcast, we love talking about the things most people don't openly talk about the real, messy human experience and how we can grow through it. Tune in on Loudspeaker every week on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain and on Tuesdays on any of your favorite podcast apps. Join us in this space that's all about connecting through our stories, showing up for the real, and embracing the truth that we are not on this journey alone. See you there. As you know, if you're a regular listener, each episode, we bring you a big sober energy tip to help enhance your life and your recovery journey. And today's tip will be helping you deal with your financial past or present. One of the things that Aaron and I believe very strongly is that money really takes on the energy that you project. So if you believe that money is the root of all evil, that people who have money are manipulative or inherently bad people, that's going to influence your relationship with money and your willingness to kind of be open to receiving money. On the flip side, if you believe that only good people who work hard have money, it's going to affect the way that you think about yourself if you don't have money. So I think one of the most important things we can do when reframing our money relationship in sobriety is to see money as a totally neutral energy and that we have the power through our own actions and narratives to change money from being something that's scary or feels evil or manipulative or bad or scarce to being something that is joyful and abundant that allows us to be more generous and that doesn't necessarily define our value or who we are. It's just an energy that's moving around us and we do have the power to change the way that 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 energy feels and how it moves and the directions that it flows. And this is really the heart of the big sober energy tip is knowledge is power. It's not going to work to create a really strict budget or put yourself on a repayment plan or start, you know, investing in the stock market or whatever if you haven't reconciled your own money situation and your own beliefs about money. So Get really clear on three things. One, what beliefs are you holding about money? Really journal around those questions. What was your first exposure to narratives about money? Did you know people who had money or didn't have money? What was your experience growing up? What were you told? And just get really honest about that. Investigate that. That knowledge is going to empower you to recognize narratives that you might be carrying that are not helpful and begin to change them. The second is take an honest reckoning of what is really going on in your financial life. And this is harder than it sounds, but check your bank account balance every day. Just get in that habit. Know how much money you have. Know what your credit score is. Investigate those two things. Track them. Pay attention to them. You don't have to obsess about them. But this is a good habit to get into just so that you know what's going on. If you don't know, you can't take action to push the energy in the direction that's going to benefit your life. 
We don't want to encourage greed. We don't want to encourage obsession, but we do want to encourage empowerment. And if you don't have those numbers in your head, if you don't really understand the landscape, it's impossible to navigate it. The third piece that I wanted to mention in terms of knowledge equaling power is that it can feel very overwhelming to educate yourself about financial planning and saving and retirement and debt reduction, et cetera. But if you take really small incremental steps to start learning about those things and you're strategic about the inputs that you seek out and the way that you educate yourself, it can be a very gradual thing that can encourage you to make gradual changes, which as we know from any kind of habit formation research is truly the only way to make lasting change. So I, for example, am a huge fan of the podcast Life Kit from NPR because it very deliberately and slowly breaks down the mechanism of debt reduction, talks about the magic of you know, using compound interest to your benefit as opposed to your detriment, which is something I really did not know about because we do a horrible job with financial literacy in our education system. Mm -hmm. And but it's really broken down in a way that feels very manageable, very accessible, and uses the stories of real people back to that relatability, like you're not alone thing, mm -hmm. to illustrate how you can get yourself out of debt, essentially. So we'll link that in the show notes as well as a few other podcasts and books that we recommend that really do a good job of just kind of taking you by the hand and walking you through this step by step. And those exposures, like if you just commit to like five or 10 minutes of reading or listening in a day, that is another example of knowledge equaling power without being overwhelming, without having to commit to some huge giant plan that ultimately is a setup for failure, as we've talked mm -hmm. about on this show. And I think is something that can really, really benefit us, especially in combination with the self-examination of your narratives and beliefs, and also the honest reckoning with what is going on in your bank account. It is purely like recovery. Take it day by day. Try not to future trip and find a community with people that have like-minded stories so you don't feel alone. It really is. It's like getting sober. Getting the bank account sober. Speaking of getting sober, meditation and movement are essential components of the hangover liberation method. And so we like to carve out a little bit of time in every episode to either move or breathe with you or both. And today, Erin is going to talk us through a brief movement practice. Yeah, today we are going to do a body scan. So if you can find a comfortable place to sit or stand, and if you're driving, don't do this because you might be apt to close your eyes and really focus in on your body. So if you're driving, just do this part later, but find that comfortable place with your feet on the floor. So obviously if you're standing, your feet will be on the floor. If you're sitting, bring those feet so they are touching the floor, okay? We are going to just take a scan through the body because I honestly find this topic of money can bring some tension to my body. So I'm going to try to help, help us find tension points and just breathe through them and relax. So starting with your feet, you're going to just bring some awareness to where your feet are placed on the floor. I want you to try to have your big toe, the, the bone under your big toe, the bone under your pinky toe, and 
all across the heel, somewhat even there on the floor. Think of your toes spreading out. There's energy kind of evenly dispersed across the bottoms of the feet. And if you feel any gripping or tension under that arch, try to release it and think those toes again, once again, are being spread out. Traveling up to the ankle, just find a moment of relaxing there, up through the shin, and we travel up to the thighs. Let's try to relax those quads. Oftentimes the quads can grip and the front of the hips can get kind of grippy, especially if we sit a lot. So let's stay here at the hips for a moment and take a couple big breaths in through the nose. And as you exhale out of the mouth, think about literally the front of those hip flexors or the hip flexors just relaxing a little bit more. Good. And then from that, we're going to just travel up through the torso. You can even have a little experimentation with some engagement of the deep core for a moment there. And up through, we're going to head all the way up to the shoulders. Now, this is a place where a lot of people carry tension, the shoulders and the neck. So we're going to hang out here and just take a couple of shoulder rolls, just two or three each direction. And try to just breathe through that, relaxing any tension out of that neck. Make sure the shoulders aren't pinned up to the ears. Last roll. Good. And then we're going to finally bring that energy up to the top of the head. Let that head just float on top of the spine, kind of weightlessly, so you're not gripping the neck. It's just hovering there. And let's just finish with that. So hopefully that helped you release a little tension in your body. That's something actually I advise to do at any time you're having a moment of tension. Thank you so much, Erin. I hadn't really noticed how tense my own body had become having that conversation. Yeah, right? Even though it's a hopeful conversation, it's still, it's still a little bit of a trigger. So I really appreciate that beautiful body scan. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening and spending your time with us today. As always, if getting sober is something that you have struggled with, or you are just beginning your journey and need some support, feel free to reach out to us. You can learn more about our work at reverrecovery.com or follow us on Instagram at reverrecovery. We also have a free Facebook group full of wonderful people called Reva Holistic Recovery Support. And if you'd like to learn more about working with us directly, you can book a free visioning session by reaching out to us through any of those platforms. If you like the podcast, we'd appreciate it so much if you could give us a five-star rating and a review so other folks can find us. Thank you again for listening. And as always, cheers to you and your liberation. Hangover Liberation Society is a production of Feminist Hot Dog and Loudspeaker. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org.